Welcome back to the Low Bottom High Rise Podcast with me, Moira Kassaba. I'm coming at you today fresh off an experience of a lifetime is the only way to put it. I am also feverish and sick, which is just kind of the cherry on top of the extreme uncomfortability that I've experienced over the last seven days. So I knew before I left that I wanted to mark off some time on my schedule, specifically on this day, specifically, you know, fresh off of this trip. And we just got back late late last night. Can't even talk. This is what happens when you have a fever and a head cold and a sore throat and all the things. Um, But I think it's important to do this podcast today because sometimes I think when we're not necessarily completely on, not necessarily completely clear-headed, we're a little bit more connected to our authenticity and we're a little bit more connected to our hearts in some way. So before I go into what has really settled in with me as almost like five major takeaways that were just kind of on my heart and, you know, so prominent in my mind throughout the trip. Um, And that's what I hope to just translate to you guys today. But before I go into that, I, I really just want to tell you guys, you know, what this was and what it was for. So we went on a, a 28 mile, 27.7 mile trek up and down the highest peak in the Dominican Republic, which is known as Pico Duarte. And it was a trek for Blue Missions, which brings um, clean water and sanitation into compos in the Dominican, where people, you know, are living in these communities that they have to walk, you know, up the mountain on a daily basis or down to the stream, which is, you know, far away to wash clothes and no running water, no clean or if any sanitation, no water filtration systems. It really is mind blowing to experience that and live in that um, as we did for the last week. And so um, we left last Last, gosh, I can't even remember, Wednesday, I believe, the trek started um, Saturday morning. And so 27.7 miles up the first day, and it's it's hard to not break it down day by day, but the first day we had camped the night before at base camp, which even that, you know, um, very limited resources of, you know, electricity or running water. We did have bathrooms at base camp. Um, and then we woke up at, you know, before the sun rose and we started, we started out on our trek and guys, this is not exactly just like a mountain hike through the meadows. This is, you know, something that is not in my wheelhouse of extreme preparation, extreme foot care and body care and fuel and poles and, you know, weather from, you know, 75, 80 degrees where you're in a tank top sweating to winds and rains and, you know, freezing cold temperatures at the top. Um, It was quite the experience. And before we started out on the three-hour bus ride to base camp, um, we kind of went around the bus and, you know, shared what brought us here. You know, why were we there? What was our intention? What drew us to this? 
And one of my friends that had been on this trip the year previous, who was also a uh, pro baseball player, and he had told us before, which this is the thing that kept haunting me going into the trip. I was like, how hard is it really? And he said, it's literally the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And I'm like, oh, okay, that is a whole new level, but I'm here for it. But he said on that bus ride to it, he said, I came, I I come to this and I come back to this to put myself in a state of discomfort, to remind myself, uh, you know, and to humble myself to realize going home, just how good we've got it. And I thank God that he said that because Every single moment of the trek was hard. Every single every single step. And I just kept remembering that this is what we signed up for. We signed up for the the discomfort. We signed up for the hard. That's what we were there for. We weren't a trying we weren't trying to avoid it, which we do. I mean, every single thing we do in our life truly is seeking comfort. You know, we want more money. We want a bigger house. We want the new position at work, we want, you know, the things, the material things we want in our life, it's all really driven by a need to be or desire to be more comfortable, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. So day one, 11 miles up, which seems like a walk in the park. And that's what I kept telling myself before. I'm like, 11 miles? That's not like, I can do that. It's 11 miles up. And there's one stretch called the Hill of Repentance, Come to find out there are about four Hill of Repentances as you go up. Um, But the whole thing is up, obviously. And you are, depending on the conditions, you know, often slipping in mud that is just like quicksand. So that's the kind of hiking we're doing. We're doing about one mile per hour. So it took us 11 hours to get to that first stop, um, which they also call base camp, which is not at the base. It's 11 miles up. And, you know, we left at 5 a.m. I think we arrived at 5 p.m. And we arrive at the second base camp that has zero, you know, bathrooms. There is no, um, there is running water in the kitchen, uh, but no showers, nothing like that. And so, like, we are, we are, let's just be real here, the whole day. And the whole multiple days, we are not going to the bathroom in bathrooms. There are, there's no toilet paper. There's no, you know, mirrors to glance at. There's no privacy. There is no nothing. Um, so we, the interesting thing about this trip that I kept thinking about was every time that you thought you were getting to a place of, we finally made it. We can finally like experience some comfort of just stopping it got more difficult. So night number one, and and I'll just kind of give you this overview of the trip and then I'll go back to really my takeaways of just the life lessons. Night number one, we finally get in our tents. It's freezing cold. You know, I'm sleeping with multiple layers, um, uh, puffy on inside a like sub-zero sleeping bag inside of a tent, you know, beanie on my head electric gloves because I have rain odds and I needed to bring them. And um, there's a windstorm, like hurricane force winds that it's scary. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, we're good. Like nobody's saying that this is, 
that were not safe. So I'm trusting these people that we're with. Well, we finally barely drift off to sleep. And then it's like, get up, get out. You know, it's dangerous. And so we have to like end up all getting up in like, literally it's like a scene out of a movie. You can't even see things are blowing so bad. And we like escape into, there's one shelter that it's a first come first serve, like boarding, like just four walls, you know? And if you get there early at the campsite, that's, you can call dibs on that. And so it was full when we got there. So we were sleeping in tents, which we assumed that's how we were going to be sleeping anyway, but we couldn't sleep in our tents. It was too dangerous. So we have to go into this quote unquote shelter and sleep among 40 strangers, like literally foot to head, head to foot, body to body. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but you're also so tired that it doesn't really matter. And so we drift off to sleep, finally like seeking some, you know, a reprieve from the insanity. And I get woken up. We all get woken up by somebody like moaning and kind of crying. And she is literally to my foot, where my head is, her feet are like six inches in front of my head. So it happens to be the person that is literally in front of me. And I wake up delirious, confused, um, just, I mean, complete delirium at this point. And I'm looking at her and she literally starts to like almost convulse and, and the crying and the moaning and the like agony gets that much more intense. And we're paralyzed because we don't know how to help her. I don't speak Spanish. Um, some people are trying to help, but you know, there's no medical people in the room. And we didn't know if she was having a heart attack. We didn't know if she was having a panic attack. I still don't know what happened to her. Um, it lasted for quite a while. And I think they, I think they got her up and out. And I don't know if they brought her back down the mountain. I don't know what happened. Um, but we fell asleep for about 30 minutes, maybe an hour, and then 4.30 in the morning and time to wake up. We were supposed to wake up at 3 a.m. to trek to the summit, but we decided because of the hurricane <laughs> that we were going to allow ourselves to sleep a little bit more. So up, up and at them with headlamps and, you know, cold weather gear, and we start the three-hour trek to the summit. And so day two, we trek to the summit. I think we get there at about maybe, I don't know, 9, 10 a.m. And we kind of celebrate there at the top. You know, we've accomplished it. We've done it. We've made it to the summit. It is this magical, incredible moment. And we trek back down to spend the rest of the day at um, the quote-unquote base camp that is not at the base. And we're just like trashed, completely trashed. And a lot of us end up falling asleep in the afternoon. Um... And so, and then we have, we get showers, quote unquote showers. So guys, these showers are like mini little teeny tiny teepee tents. And the, the thing that they give you is a half of a bucket of water that is boiled. So it's quote unquote clean water. Um, and a pitcher that is shaved off halfway that you can scoop water and pour it on your body. So I got about five scoops of water on my body and it felt like the Four Seasons Spa. <laughs> it was glorious. And you just realize like how scary 
skewed our perception and our expectations are. You know, how you can experience such gratitude and such joy and truly such bliss with something as simple as a bucket of lukewarm, slightly dirty water and you're happy, you know? Um, And so we fall asleep that night, that's day two. And then the next day we, last day we trek down, um, which, you know, going down so often is, is harder than going up, especially when your entire body feels ridiculously sore. Um, Some of our girls ended up getting sick. They had fevers on the way down, some lost toenails. I mean, there, it was, and I will say this too, it started pouring down rain on the um, 11 mile hike down, which I think took us. I think it took seven hours to get down um, because it was super muddy. We were slipping and sliding and there's mules coming the whole time that are actually really dangerous because they just come around the bend with all their stuff on it. And like one threw my husband, Brian, like literally into a tree. He, his body like snaps the tree in half. He almost goes off the side of the mountain. Like it was crazy, 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 crazy. And then the last two days we finally got to go to like what they call headquarters, which is a house of blue missions, like in town. Um, But again, you think, oh, we're finally like back to civilization. Well, you know, toilets don't work. The air conditioner doesn't work that night. So we're sleeping in like a hot house. Then people start dropping like flies. So, you know, we don't know what everybody has still. Um, It's not COVID. But I mean, we're talking about people in the group having fevers like you know, five days straight and, and, you know, going, I think I'm just starting day one, day two of it. And so let me get back to discomfort. When we finally got back to headquarters, what I was so aware of was this inability to have 60 seconds of reprieve, reprieve from the discomfort. You know, we, so often might do what a 30, 45 minute workout that's hard and uncomfortable, but we are instantaneously back to our comforts of a hot shower, a bathroom that a bathroom period, a bathroom that flushes our water where we're not, you know, trying to get water off of a mule and suck out of a camelback and our air conditioned or our heated homes. And there was not a reprieve of being uncomfortable, not even for a minute, for days on end. And we have to remember that that is what makes us stronger. That is what resets us to have a different, you know, level of what brings us joy and what brings us comfort, you know, what brings us you know, just satisfaction, our, our expectations of what we need to be happy are so off the charts crazy. And I can remember experiencing this before I had babies. I remember, I remember this so clearly. I remember going on our honeymoon. We were in Hawaii. And I remember on day like three, I was like, oh, I'm finally like really relaxed. You know, we've had massages. We've had a great meals. We've relaxed by the water. And three days in, like, ah, finally, like, not happy, but you know, relaxed. And I remember when I had babies, I was like, oh my gosh, 
the same level of joy I can find by like a 20 minute grocery store run without infants. Like my, my bar was lowered so much. And it's funny because I always talk about raising your standards for yourself, raising your standards for what you accept from yourself and the habits that you create in your life and, you know, having higher standards. But in a way, there's a piece of our life where we need to lower our standards. And we do that by putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations. It's why, you know, we take ice baths and we do things like that because you train your brain. You literally train your brain to, you know, experience discomfort, which then allows a lower level of comfort to be enough. Does that make sense? And so it allows you to handle life's curveballs. And the whole time we were on this trip, I kept thinking about, you know, I'm super passionate about training your brain. And I mean, flexing the muscle of your mindset and strengthening your mindset on a daily basis. Because when we do that, no different than we feel like we've got to train our muscles and we got to work on our biceps and we got to, you know, do squats for our legs. And we understand working out our physical muscles And if we do that a little bit every single day, we're going to be able to handle life better. We're going to be more nimble. We're going to be stronger. We're going to be more flexible, whatever it is. But we don't think about that with our brain. And truly, and I'm not trying to like inflate my ego here, but this trip was hard, hard as hell. And my brain was 100% able to handle it without downward spiraling into fear or anxiousness because of the groundwork that I have laid every single day leading up to this. You know, I I would see the thought, I would hear the thought, and I would be able to flip it around and just keep on trucking. And it's like, it's your brain is no different than your bicep when it comes to working out that muscle every single day. And by putting yourself in that discomfort on a daily basis, you are going to be able to navigate life's curveballs. So that that is lesson number one. Lesson number two, this was huge, fear. So I realized that day one for me was probably the most... I don't want to say most fearful day, but it was the day that I noticed all the thoughts coming up, right? All the fears coming up and me really having to work on my mindset and think and turn things around. And it had nothing to do with the heart of the moment. So day number one, my body wasn't sore. And I found myself going up this mountain and it, it, it was hard, but it wasn't like killing me, right? I mean, it, it was hard as hell. Don't get me wrong. But I wasn't, you know, my knee wasn't about to like blow out. My toenail wasn't about to fall off, you know, things like that. But it was the fear of, oh my gosh, my back's hurting a little bit. What does this mean? Like, what? how am I going to sleep tonight? And, And what if my back's sore tomorrow? It was always the fear that I felt in the moment had nothing to do with the moment. It, it, it was always about what does this mean for tonight? What does this mean for tomorrow? Where How are we going to sleep tonight? How cold is it going to be tonight? Is my body going to be too sore to make the trek up to the summit tomorrow? What if it rains on day three and we're trying to go down and it's slippery? It was always about the future and never about the present moment. Fear is 99% of the time 
about what is happening in the future, which hasn't happened, which may not happen, but it is not about the present moment. And the more we can stay in the present moment, the less fear we have. I'll never forget showing up at a friend's house one day. I was newly sober. It's actually my sponsor's house. I was living in San Diego. I was 21 years old. And I was flipping out about something like so much that I drove to her house because I had to talk to her because I was losing my mind. And I will never forget. She put her hands on my shoulders and she said, Moira, look at your feet. And I was like, what? Looking at her like she's crazy. She said, look at your feet. And I looked down and she said, you are standing in my house right now in this moment None of that has come to pass. In this moment, right now, looking at where your feet are planted, you are fine. Life is fine. Everything is good. And everything that you are spiraling out about is something that may or may not happen in the future. And the more we can just look at our feet and stay planted in the present moment, everything's okay. And the less fear that we have. So that was a huge aha for me that all the scary thoughts that were coming on the mountain was what does this mean for tomorrow? What does this mean for tonight? What does this mean for day three? Nothing to do with what was actually happening in the here and now. Lesson number three, y'all, who you surround yourself with is everything. And I know we hear that all the time, but truly one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things I've heard in the recent future was Robin Sharma said, we become our conversations. We become our conversations. And I can tell you that the conversations on that mountain were beautiful. They were deep. They were authentic. People were sick. People were hurting. Everyone was there to support each other. And when you said, are you okay? How are you doing? You would hear things like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm okay. I, I, I can do this. We're doing this. What they really wanted to say was, I'm falling apart. My toenails are falling off. My back is spasming. But instead, they said, I'm good. And we just locked arms and kept on going. Who you surround yourself with is everything. If people had been in a negative headspace, if people had been just bitching and complaining, I don't know how I would have done that. It would have rubbed off on me, just like your energy rubs off on all those around you, who you surround yourself with is everything. The constant conversation, we become our conversations on that mountain was we got this, we're doing this, we can do this, we're doing this, we're getting there, it's okay, I've got you, right? We become our conversations. You have to seek out people that are where you want to be, right? You've got to step away from the people that are the complainers, the negative people, the people that are bitching about everything in their life left and right. You have got to guard your mind with a steel door and do your best to step away from those people in your life. And, you know, this could be a whole episode in and of itself because I get it. So often the people in our life that are the very closest to us are those negative people but you have control. You can listen to podcasts. You can, uh, you know, lose yourselves in personal growth books. You can find a community to join. You can buffer that 
with how you are taking action in your life to surround yourself with the right people. It is everything. So find the community that lifts you up. Number four. Am I on number four? I think I'm on number four. One, two, three, four, and like in my brain. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm on number four, but the next one. And I kept thinking this the whole time because guys, I've wanted to go on a mission trip my whole life and I've never had the time. I've never prioritized it. And I just kept thinking, I never want to be so busy or think that I'm so important that I don't have time to serve. You know, it is a pillar in my life to just be of service to the world. It is, it is, you know, one of my just absolute driving forces in my life. My father instilled that in me, but there are times where I've lost that. There's times where not that I thought I was too important, but I certainly just thought I I just can't, you know, I've got volleyball tournaments and baseball tournaments and work and I just, I can't, but guys, we all can, we can all step away and serve. You know, somebody, I think somebody said it this weekend and again, we become our conversations we can be in the midst of the craziest season of our life. And if somebody dies or somebody is hospitalized, we drop everything. We turn it all off instantaneously and we go where we need to be. We show up. So if we can do it in those moments, we can do it truly at any time. Never be so busy that you don't have time to serve. Huge, huge, huge huge. And the last thing I'll say, and this brought me to tears um, on the trip, we were going around the circle and we were sharing after we had summited. And I was so overwhelmed, guys, because this organization, Blue Missions, was started by a kid. It was started by a kid who was a typical teenager. I've got two of them. And his parents made him go on a mission trip. And he came back from that mission trip forever changed. And he said, I, I got to go back. I got to go back and help. And so he grabbed his buddies, he grabbed his friends, and he went back to the Dominican Republic and he went to serve. And then he went back again. And he, as a teenage kid, was the one that decided to start Blue Missions. And the really cool thing is his father, Cheeky, was one of the men that was on the trip with us. And, you know, years into Blue Missions, this is such a cool story. Years into Blue Missions, uh, the son, Danny, went to his dad And his dad had since, you know, become involved with Blue Missions and they'd done a lot of mission work as a family. And he said, hey, dad, I have something to ask you. I would like for you to step away from your corporate job. And I'd like to hire you and I want you to work for me at Blue Missions. And his dad stepped away from corporate America to go help his son run Blue Missions in the Dominican, who has since put countless latrines and sanita- you know, sanitation water projects into just countless communities and homes. 
And the thing that I was overwhelmed with was one trip. One trip turned into that. And the reason I was there and the reason my husband was there is I had one conversation. One conversation I will never forget driving around um, the island that I live on. I had a friend in town from Miami and somehow Blue Missions came up and I was like, what is that? Tell me, tell me about that. And she had gone on this hike before and she started to tell me all about Blue Missions and the heart of Blue Missions and, you know, the work that they were doing. And it was one conversation, one conversation. And I said, I want to do it. And then I had one conversation with my husband and he didn't want to go. And I said, I'm going with or without you. And he's like, oh, I can't let you go on something like that without me. So he decided to come. But guys, one trip, one conversation can turn into something that forever changes the course of your life, your family's life, and impacts the world. But we have to pay attention to those moments, right? We've got to pay attention to those callings. And I've said this a thousand times, I feel like, on this podcast because it's truly one of my biggest life lessons. Tony Robbins says, take action in the moment of inspiration. Take action in the moment of inspiration, which means when you feel inspired by a podcast or a book or a conversation, in the moment of inspiration, fill out the form on the website, make a phone call, text the friend, take action in the moment of inspiration that commits you to that final destination because so much can change in a moment. So guys, I will link all the information for Blue Missions in the show notes below. I will tell you that even a $20 donation goes so far. And, you know, going into the community and meeting these incredible, incredible people that are so grateful and live such simple lives, but also struggle so much to have the basic necessities of life, the basic dignities of life. And we can do so much with so little. So all the information is linked below. And thanks for listening.